As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and today we're joined by Jason Wong. Jason, you may have heard of. He is currently the founding partner of Beluga Capital, which invests in the Web2 space, and also general partner at Lunatic Capital, which invests in the Web3 space. Jason is a undergrad graduate, class of 2009 out of Haas. So first off, welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thank you for having me here. One thing I left off in your intro is that you were founding CEO of Caviar, which everybody should have heard of. <laughs> but you also have so much else on your LinkedIn that it just fascinates me, that you've been, in my opinion, all kinds of entrepreneur, from a tech entrepreneur to you know your traditional licensee, franchisee entrepreneur. So, But before we get on into all of that, we'd love to hear about your background, your upbringing, Jason. And, Short your origin story. Sure. Yeah. I was actually born in China, but came over with my parents to the United States at the age of one. And we grew up in Houston, Texas. Wow. Where my dad went to school studying optometry. And now he's like actually working at Haas. He's been working there for quite some time. Really? But before then, yeah, he was in an optometry school before we moved to the Bay Area when I was like age eight or so. And then he kind of pivoted from optometry to doing programming and tech, all self-taught because he couldn't find a job after he graduated because his education level was too high. And he went to Berkeley even for like a postdoctorate degree in the school of optometry. Wow. Like, so he has a book that's still in the, the library there. Right next to Haas as well. <laughs> yeah, right next to Haas. I used to pass by it as a student walking to Haas every day from the south side of campus. Yeah, so then kind of grew up in the Bay Area ever since. I literally just moved a couple towns from like Albany, which is like a one square mile town right next to Berkeley. Yeah, I moved over to Berkeley and after I graduated, I moved to Oakland. So I've kind of been in the Bay more or less my entire life. Wow. So what did you study at Haas? So my intention, like even in high school, I wanted to go to a business school. So I was looking at all the business programs around the country, but ended up taking a bet. Because when you do apply to Haas as an undergrad, it's not right away. So when you enter as a freshman in a college, you know, it's not guaranteed. You have to go through another two years and then apply again. That's right. But I really wanted to go to Berkeley since it was close to home and it had a great name and I wanted a 10 Haas. So even before getting into Berkeley, I knew I wanted to study business. And more specifically, it was uh, accounting because my mom really pushed that into me. Like, oh, you should be an accountant. <laughs> it's a very stable job and every company in America needs an accountant. So you'll never not have a job. Yeah. Because my dad, when he pivoted from autometry to programming, he went into startups, actually. This was like 1998, before the whole dot-com bubble. Yeah. So they were kind of scarred from that and wanted me to take a more stable path. 
Did you study accounting at all? I did. I got all the units I needed to become a CPA. I also did like an externship at Deloitte. And a junior year, my internship was at Microsoft and they're one of the internal audit divisions because I told them, look, I want to get more accounting experience. So did everything I needed to become the CPA that I, you know, my mom wanted me to become. And then what happened? Well, I remember recruiting in 2008 and nine. That's when the financial crisis happened. Yeah. It was probably the toughest year, right? Like all these roles were getting diminished and companies going bankrupt or not existing anymore. So I kind of went out and interviewed and decided, look, I wanted to stay in the Bay. I had a job offer with Microsoft, but that was back in the Seattle, Redmond, Washington area. But I really wanted to continue living and working in the, the Bay area. So kind of just took whatever available role that I could recruit for. Ended up being banking, which was very different from accounting. So then I started studying for the CFA, the Charter Financial Analyst. Uh, while doing that, kind of shifted my focus more into finance and banking rather than accounting. So ended up only lasting nine months though, after I graduated in that world, before I had to move on and do something else. How'd you jump ship <laughs> to become an entrepreneur? Yeah. I remember my first month, we got sent to training for banking. It was at B of A Merrill Lynch out in Charlotte, yeah. where the B of A headquarters is. It's just my first week. I was like, man, this sucks. I want to get out of here already. <laughs> I love tech. So I wanted to go work at a tech company, but I don't, uh, I'm not really an engineer. So I was already like starting to look at different roles outside of the, the financial industry and into tech. But it took about nine months before I got really serious and decided that, you know, it's now time to leave. And that nine month was also good timing because they just paid my first year bonuses <laughs> the month before and landed a, a very entry-level operational role at Google. I was like, this is great. I'm getting my feet wet. This is my entry into a tech company and I can eventually move around. I wasn't going to stay hopefully in an entry-level operational role in Google forever. Yeah. But I loved being there because it was just everything that I envisioned, a cool company that really values their workers to be. They give out a lot of free stuff. They gave me a ride to work, free food, and I could wear whatever I wanted. Because in the banking world, you come in a suit every day, even though you're just sitting in a cubicle with no windows. So that, I love that tech culture and just being around innovative people and a company that's innovative. But then again, like being an entry-level operational role at Google, there's not that much actual work to do every day. Yeah. I remember like, I still lived in like Oakland at the time and I would have to commute to Mountain View. So that was like an hour bus ride on the Google bus and they had Wi-Fi on that bus. So you're able to work. And by the time I actually got to Google every day, I already finished my entire day worth of work <laughs> every single day. And so I had really so much free time when I was at actual work. And that was kind of cool because it gave me a lot of free time to think about business ideas, which kind of sparked this whole entrepreneurship journey. And how did you get into food? Yeah. So if you know me, I'm like one of the biggest foodies. I love food. I would only like for the longest time travel only to go eat at a restaurant and... 
I love to try like different restaurants. I, for example, like it all started back in college. Like I think I tried almost every single restaurant that was available to students within that Berkeley campus when I was an undergrad. And I don't even cook. Like I don't know how I eat out every meal. And so food is my passion. It's like what I love. And I knew I wanted to do something in the food space, but combine that with tech in some way. Hmm. My first company was a food tech company that was before Caviar, but it didn't quite work out. And then we tried again with Caviar after that. So what's the origin story of Caviar? Yeah, definitely was not the idea originally. The original idea was to build a Groupon for food. Like you would be able to go on our website or app and get 50 to 70% off dishes at restaurants. And it all started when I was at Google because of all the free time that I had working there. So one of my friends that I went to college with, he would come down every evening. He used to work at Electronic Arts in like the peninsula. Yeah. And he would come down to get free food at Google because I worked at Google and I can invite friends to come in and hang out and eat. He was also getting kind of bored at work and wanted to do something different. So we just started to like, Every night we would just talk about like different business ideas. And at the time we saw that the fastest growing company of all time was Groupon, this coupon company. And we thought they do so many things. What if we take Groupon and slice it up and only focus on restaurants and food and dishes at these restaurants? And that's kind of how it all started. And I kind of went back to college and assemble a team. So we ended up with like at one point more than a more than 10 co-founders. So we didn't know what we were doing and we just took on everybody that I wanted to help with our project. This was back in like 2010, 2011. Yeah. So right when like the the iPhone kind of came out, when mobile started to to come out. Yeah, and it kind of just grew from there. We became more serious, whittled down the team to four co-founders, which was more appropriate. And we have heard about this little incubator down in Mountain View called Y Combinator. And they've only been around for not too long at the time, but they, they were touring like various different college campuses. So as an alum, like a newly alum of Berkeley, like I would still go back to some events in school. And I heard about this Y Combinator talk that the founder Paul Graham was giving. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I have to go to this and hear what it's all about. So I remember that evening and like the co-founders and I, we sat in the audience and, you know, we heard Paul give a, a great talk about startups and why students should get more into entrepreneurship. And at the end of it, he was like, okay, it's pitch time. Who wants to stand up and pitch me their startup? So I immediately <laughs> just got up and gave him a pitch. He was like, oh, I like that. You should email me later. <laughs> so I did. And he told us to apply for Y Combinator. And we did. Eventually got an interview and then got in. And that kind of changed everything. Yeah. Because one of my co-founders was actually a freshman that just got into Berkeley. So he dropped out of school. Wow. And my other co-founder was a graduating senior with a job already lined up. And then I was still at Google. And then my other co-founder was still at Electronic Arts. So we both left our jobs we got together and took $18,000 for 7% of the company. And that was like more money than we've ever seen. 
<laughs> That's kind of laughable in today's world, but... That's what the terms were back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 18,000? We made that last a long time. We were super frugal with our spending. How long did that last? I have to, I have to wonder. Oh, like it lasted like a year. Wow. <laughs> we only raised from one angel investor the whole time. He gave us a $25,000 check. Wow. That's amazing. And we got the money from Y Combinator. Yeah. We ran it for about a year before we were really low on money. And we were able to use that to launch in dozens of cities across the United States wow. for that Groupon for food idea. So from Caviar, it seems like, you know, your journey there was relatively short. You know, you guys were acquired in two years, which is amazing. And then you, you did stay on, you'd have mentioned, for a couple of years, right? Another two years. Yeah. What was it like selling your company in two years? Yeah, the whole experience was like a whirlwind. So we were like the first on-demand food delivery app. Yeah. We launched like a week apart, us and Postmates. We were like the first couple of years before DoorDash and Uber Eats even existed. So I remember like... There's just so much happening all the time. Like there's not much competition. So we were getting all these restaurants and users and different markets. And it was just hard to keep up. We we're like drowning in our own growth, like week after week. Yeah. We kept hitting our targets and it came to a certain point. Like as a user, you wouldn't notice, but we have like almost no tech behind the scenes. So if you're a user, you download our app. It looks like it's all magical, right? You, you look at photos, you place an order for food, and then boom, a courier appears on the map and it starts moving towards you. But behind the scenes, like there is no like routing program or any algorithms. It was like me and our operation team, we were looking at a spreadsheet. Sometimes we had to call a restaurant and read out the orders or tell them to go check their fax machine because we would send faxes to some. And then we had another spreadsheet with a list of our drivers and we'd have to text our drivers and say, Hey, can you go pick up this order at this time? And it was all manual. And we did that for like tens of thousands of orders. Like you wouldn't know it if you ever used the app because we were really good at operations, but we were coming to a point where we're like, we were about to break because our growth was just could not keep up with human physical ability to route orders on a screen. Yeah. And it started happening from like for all of our early markets that were becoming like really successful. And the acquisition kind of came at a really good time because for Square, they wanted to get into more of a consumer's plate because they were actually making a, an app called Square Order where it allows pickup from like any merchant. Hmm. And we will complement them with the, the delivery aspect. And also Square at the time had trouble selling their, their, their POS system into restaurants. Most of their users were not restaurants. So the synergies were there. And they also had a massive tech and engineering team. And it was like, here on day one, we could send you a dozen engineers straight <laughs> to your office and they can start coding and getting to work and knocking out all of these things that you're looking for. Yeah. So it just became super attractive to us to partner with them and then eventually became an acquisition. And all of this happened like, so this was 2014. In March of 2014, I had just went out and raised our Series A. So we, we got fresh, like it was like $10 million or so in the bank, Series A. 
And we barely even spent most of our seed money because we were super conservative. So we still had a lot of money in the bank. And then Square comes a month later. So the acquisition happened from like start to close, just like several months after we closed out our Series A. Yeah. Yeah, super quick. That's incredible. Did you guys have an engineer on your team? I mean, who was building the product? A few, only a few. Yeah, my co-founders. And then we had a, like only two other employees, really, that were engineers. Who was doing sales? Me and two of my other co-founders. We did all the sales, marketing, and operations. Do you mind me asking how you guys figured it out? Or how did you guys find help when you guys had shortcomings or things you didn't know? Yeah. I had to call my mom a few times to do deliveries because we ran out of drivers because <laughs> there was no way to shut off in the early days like a restaurant order. If it came in, it came in. Yeah. You couldn't like say, okay, sorry, we canceled it. Someone was hungry. <laughs> yeah. So we had to manage like a ton of operations that way, but it was fine because in the beginning it was, we had to, we ramped up slowly and then it suddenly just became like a ton of orders. But we got really good at operations. And our first like operation lead was actually one of our drivers. We actually hired a few of our drivers directly onto our team. They kind of helped us a lot with our operations and also like sales too. Yeah. So I, I know there's there's a story behind Halal Guys, <laughs> you, your yeah. franchise owner there. And you were a franchise owner in the very early days when Halal Guys, I remember very distinctly when Halal Guys started opening across the country and everybody was just waiting for you know one to open up in their city. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, so I became a franchise owner by accident. Like I wasn't going out and trying to become a Halal Guys franchise owner, but what I wanted to do, so I was still working at Caviar at the time when Halal Guys started franchising. And I really wanted Halal Guys to partner with Caviar to do deliveries. Because in 2015, they did not partner with anyone. They didn't do any deliveries, but their food is perfect for it. Yeah, We thought it would be like a great partnership. And they didn't respond to any of my phone calls or emails. I could never get a hold of someone at Halal Guys to talk to me about a partnership. So I would constantly be on their website and figure out like, okay, who do I, I mean, I hustled really hard to try to get this partnership going. But one day I saw like a new button that magically appeared that said, become a franchise owner. And I'm like, that's new. I clicked on it and I filled out the form and lo and behold, like someone reaches out to me same day and <laughs> says, we'd like to talk to you. And in my head, I'm like, well, I'm only talking to you because I want you to do deliveries. <laughs> but they ended up convincing me and my co-founder to become a franchise owner. So we flew out to New York and did the whole interview and created a pitch deck. And at the same time, we were like telling them, you guys need to do delivery. So they got us to become franchise owners and we got them to do deliveries on Caviar. So I guess it, it worked out. It's a win-win for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do you mind me asking like, I imagine Caviar was, was down here in you know California. How did you end up opening up uh, Halal Guys in Seattle, Washington? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't by choice. It was just the only market left because <laughs> they already sold hundreds of different locations for Halal Guys. Yeah. So it was either Seattle or Miami. And I didn't know anyone in Miami, never <laughs> really only been there like once. Yeah. So Seattle, I lived there before I did an internship at Microsoft. 
back in college and I had connections there and it was much closer to California. So I could go there pretty often as needed. And so that was just a natural choice. So after Caviar, you left in 2016. You know, aside from the restaurant businesses that seem like more of a pastime than anything, so you have access to, will always have access to food. How did you get into uh, venture capital? Yeah, even when we were at Caviar, my co-founders and I, we just started getting a lot more inbound interest for, from entrepreneurs. And we thought one of the best ways we could help them is not only advice, but also give them some capital so that we'd be more invested into their companies. So with some of the exit liquidity we had, like we decided, hey, we're not going to raise any outside capital. It's all going to be personal. And we're just going to invest in startups. It's like our way of giving back. Because we, you know, going through a, a startup is kind of essentially nobody's in the beginning, like right out of college. Like we had so much help. And without that help, we could never have succeeded in the way we did. And so we wanted to to do something like that for the next generation of entrepreneurs. So we kind of started the fund Beluga Capital around 2015 and doesn't really have a thesis. It's like, okay, whenever we come across a company that we like, we share it. And if we all want to invest in the company, we'll go ahead and do that. So now we've made like over 40 investments since then. Between venture investing, restaurant ownership, a startup tech CEO, if you were to do it all over again, what, where do you find yourself most interested or passionate? Just curious. I see it as like different stages of my life. Hmm. Like starting out, I would not go into venture investing. Like I want to be more in an operational role. Yeah. Because that was more fun to me. Like I had the best time of my life, even though it was, you know, just looking back. But when I was in it, it's like, oh, wow. It's like constant like stress and hard work. Yeah. Well, looking back, I would only do that in my like 20s. Like, I don't want to be in my 40s or 50s and have that same, you know, if I didn't have to, like, go through the same thing again. So then I'm more geared toward the investing side. I love it. I guess for me, it's like different phases of my life. There's different roles or areas that I enjoy more. Personally curious, I'm sure listeners are as well. What does Jason like to do outside of the office? So outside of all of this, since 2016, I've been traveling full-time ever since I left Square in August 2016. Yeah. What started off as like, maybe I'll go for a few months. I kind of never really traveled or seen the world. And I'd even like to travel back then. But that few months, like I remember my first trip, it was August 2016. I went straight to Rio for the Olympics. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Wow. Got to see an Olympics. And <laughs> this was when Zika was around. Yeah. And so nobody went. Like half the stadiums were empty and tickets were cheap. And it was like Michael Phelps last race. It was just awesome. And then we, I just kept going. Now it's been six years almost of nonstop traveling. How many countries or how many places have you been to? So there's quite a lot of different numbers because some go by like the number of UN countries or different territories. So if we're looking specifically at the number of UN recognized country, I'm at uh, 107 right now. Oh my. So now my goal is to visit them all. There's 193 UN recognized countries. Yeah. So more than halfway down. I know you're in SF right now, but where were you this year? Yeah. This year already, just in 2022, I started the year off January 4th. I was in Antarctica. Wow. So that was... Uh, 
was my second time there. First time was on a cruise ship right when the pandemic hit. So I was on one of the last cruise ships before the cruising industry shut down. Wow. This was February of 2020. So I went back to Antarctica because another goal of mine now, a personal goal was to climb the seven summits. So that's the, the tallest mountain on every continent. Yeah. So that's actually why I'm back in the Bay. I'm training now for my next climb, which is the one in North America. But the one in Antarctica was the one I did in January. It was my fourth of the seven summits. And so I was there to climb a mountain. What were the prior three? I imagine Kilimanjaro had to have been one of those already. Yeah, that was the first. That's like the easiest. Anyone can go to that one. And you don't really have to do much technical stuff. You just wear hiking shoes and it takes about, it could take as fast as like four days up to 10 days. Yeah. And you go up with a bunch of porters who kind of help set up your tent mm -hmm. and cook for you. But that was cool. It kind of got my foot wet. I did Kilimanjaro in yeah, yeah. 2018. Wow. And then where, where else? Then I did Aconcagua, which is like almost 23,000 feet. It's the second highest of the seven summits behind Mount Everest. Yeah. Uh, I did that the year after. Where did you start? In Chile or in Argentina? or Argentina. Okay. And then the third one, the year after that, or maybe, no, it was the same year, went to Russia to do Elbrus, which is the tallest mountain in Europe. Wow. And then COVID happened and I signed up for another one in Oceana called Carson's Pyramid. And then COVID happened. I didn't pursue any of this for a couple of years and then got back into it this January. So my first trip was to Antarctica to go climb that mountain. Right. And then US is next. Yeah. That's uh, I'm leaving next Sunday in about nine days to go to Alaska mm. to climb uh, Denali. That's awesome. I could talk to you forever, Jason, but uh, I can't let you go. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing your story. Do you have any parting words or wisdom for any undergrads, prospective students, current students that might be listening? I would say like one thing I wish I had done when I was younger is to go out and travel more. Yeah. And I saved it until like just 2016. But for me, I, looking back, like, True, like travel is the best education you can get. Yeah. And I wish I had done it when I was in college, even to like study abroad or something. Well, we're still young, so it's not yeah. too late. A long way to go. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jason. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears.